Salesflare and this is Founder Coffee. Every few weeks I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings in an intimate talk getting to know the person behind the company. For this 41st episode I talked to Veronica Riederle, co-founder and CEO of Demodesk, one of the leading video solutions for sales demos. Veronica studied all about becoming an entrepreneur in university. After spending about seven years in strategy roles at Bain, Audi and Telefonica, she decided to make the jump. She and her co-founder found a way to make the sales demo process more efficient and they managed to enter Y Combinator with their startup. With a team of 20, they're now working hard to build the product and the business. We talk about why to focus very hard on the product first before starting to sell, how to properly organize a remote team, and how to know whether you reached product market fit. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hi, Veronica. It's great to have you on Founder Coffee. Hi, you. Thanks for having me. Great talking to you. Uh, you're co-founder of Demodesk. Uh, for those who don't know what Demodesk does yet, what do you guys do? We are the first intelligent online meeting tool for customer-facing conversations. And the key difference to tools like Zoom or GoToMeeting is our approach to screen sharing. So whereas existing tools would just record a video of your local desktop and stream that to the other party, we would not do any of these. We set up a virtual display instead that anyone can access by just clicking a link. And there are a couple of benefits. Um, but uh, overall, we help you automate the workflows help you reduce all the frictions that you have when you talk to your customer and provide sales reps and support reps with everything that they need in real time to have a perfect customer conversation that converts and uh, generates an unhappy customer, happy customer in the end. Yeah. So if I understand it well, you, uh, you make sure they don't have to install anything on their computer. So it just works in your browser, like a sort of web RTC technology, like, you know, the, just in the browser, the modern things. And you also reduce friction around the, the booking process, etc. Is that correct? Exactly. So regarding downloads, there are no downloads for no one. So not the host and not the participant mm-hmm. has to download anything. Um, so just a click in the browser and the meeting opens. And um, yeah, we also do automate the entire scheduling process. So we offer similar functionalities like Calendly or Chili Piper. So we help you automate the entire scheduling process with yourself, but also within the team. And then afterwards, we'll also sync all the data back to Salesforce and to HubSpot. So help you automate the entire documentation part as well. Yeah. So what, do, you, do you sort of capture uh, data within the call as well? And what does that data look like? Can you take notes within your interface or...? Yeah, you can, exactly. So because you're not sharing your local desktop, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But you're displaying the content on a separate virtual display, we can basically show anything that we want on the sales job side without the customer seeing it. So when you're having a demo or a meeting with someone, everything that you want to present is being loaded on a virtual display. But in addition, only on your side, on the sales trip side, you have all the content available that you once preloaded in your playbook that you need during the call. You have a window where you can make meeting notes also right in the same meeting window without the customer seeing it. And then when you make that meeting notes, you also have the possibility to sync that back to your CRM in a structured way and directly push yeah. it to specific fields that you link. 
Got it. Got it. We'd also work with Salesforce. <laughs> uh, we have an open API, uh, just building up the product and uh, uh, connecting it to more and more CRMs. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, when 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 uh, was it exactly that you? What were you doing at the moment you started Demo Desk? Like, where where did the exact spark come from? Actually, my co-founder started hacking together a new screen sharing technology. Um, so it was almost three years ago now when he had the idea of, um, or I had the way, I had the initial thought that there must be a better way of sharing content remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, we just thought that the screen sharing process, the screen sharing technology, as it like still mostly is right now, is just very outdated. Um, because imagine everything is going through the cloud and moving through the cloud anyway, right? So if you present a software like, like Salesflare or like basically most of the SaaS, like every SaaS app probably like, right, is in, in the cloud. There are some extensions that are locally, but, but mostly it's hosted in the cloud. And if you want to share and present something, the only way of doing it is really just opening your local browser on your local desktop, pulling that website or that web application into your local browser, then again, turning on a screen share making a video of your local desktop, again, uploading that video to the cloud and sending it to the customer, which is like a very inefficient detour. So he thought, mm-hmm. why not leaving the content that's already in the cloud where it is and then sharing it from there. And that's where the original idea came from. Okay. Uh, so what was it that you were doing when you, when you came up with this? Um, my co-founder um, initially came up with this. He um, just also worked with a couple of other SaaS companies um, uh, also in, uh, uh, as a developer and just, um, yeah, work with sales departments and so on, how inefficient the, the demo process in particular is. Yeah. Okay. So it's a, sort a, lot of, of, uh, a tech driven, um, initial start, like there's tech, we should use it and it makes sense to use it in sales. Yeah, just he just saw the process of screen sharing, saw how inefficient that is, and yeah. what disadvantage that that has. So it's it's slow, it's laggy. You have to download an application. Mm-hmm. You cannot collaboratively work on it. There are just also a lot of other disadvantages that come with it. Um, so he he, as I said, like started to to think about a better yeah. way of sharing content remotely. And um, yeah, then he basically also saw the biggest potential in the sales and customer-facing conversations. And uh, we were also looking at a couple of use cases when we started working together. And my background is in consulting. So I've been working uh, for a couple of startups before, but then I spent uh, several years in the consultancy, a management consultancy, Bain and Company. Mm-hmm. And then I also had um, a lot of clients and advising them in their sales strategy, but also myself having a lot of pitches like, customer conversations and in the end like every conversation is um, uh, the possibility to sell something to the customer or sell yourself to the customer so you're basically always selling something or having a specific goal and if you could use technology to better achieve that goal and we in our case first start with sales but if you can do that uh, I think that's a very exciting use case so we are now using technology to basically enable everyone to have a better customer conversation by providing you with everything that you need in real time to, to, to have that conversation, to have a better conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at uh, your LinkedIn profile here. You spent five years at Bain. So you, you must've been, uh, you must've advanced there quite, quite a lot in that time, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I am, I left as a project leader. Mm-hmm. I was, I was traveling a lot. So I, um, uh, most of my time I worked in Germany and the US, but also uh, across Europe, I worked a lot in Switzerland and the UK. So 
Yeah. A very international job, very travel intensive. <laughs> yeah. And, and before that, it seems you mostly worked in sort of uh, corporate jobs, Telefonica and Audi and um, Outfittery. That's the ones who send you clothes, right? Like Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. the version of the European version, I'd say now. Uh, yeah. Of Club. Yeah. Back then, it was also a startup. I also worked for Stylite. Um, back then, they were also a startup. Um, they were only a few people. Now they are over, yeah. over 100. I think like maybe over 200 now. I think they shrank again, but, but yeah. <laughs> so it seems like you've uh, you've started off your career in corporates, uh, tried up some more of the startup atmosphere, went into consulting, and then and then started your own thing. Yes, exactly. For me, it was always clear that I uh, want to build something that I want to work in a, in a startup, like either have my own or work in a very small one and it helps building a product that mm-hmm. really solves problems and helps helps humans become better in what they do. And I think software is the only thing yeah. that can do that. So uh, for me, it was always clear. And then it was also actively looking for, for opportunities and then uh, talking with uh, a lot of friends. And then uh, in that yeah. phase, uh, Alex and I started also working together. Yeah. What, what, from You're saying it was always clear to you from, from what age do I have to imagine? Say it again. Sorry, I didn't get that. You, you, you were, you were saying that uh, it was always clear to you that you wanted to start a, a company. From from what age do you think this was? Uh, for me, it started a bit later, like not when I was very little, but, but more in university. So I mm-hmm. uh, studied um, in Munich and there's an, an additional program uh, at the university. Um, it's um, it's optional. You can't take that, and, but you have also have to apply. It's called CDTM, and mm-hmm. uh, it's very founder focused. So they basically educate educate you to become a future founder. And a lot of great companies also did emerge um, out of the CDTM. CDTM, and yeah. uh, uh, that is actually where I where I where I um, realized that this is actually the, the thing that I wanted to do longer term. Yeah, what was uh, sort of your idea then to uh, started Telefonica as your first job. Was that a way to to learn more about business before going out on your own? Or well, it was actually before that. It was during university. It was it was an internship, so it was ah, not okay. a it was not a full time yep. job, right? Um, but but yeah, like also like a lot of things that I learned there. And um, so I worked in the mm-hmm. strategy department and uh, um, was looking at uh, at new technologies and a comp- at the competitive space and uh, together with the strategy team uh, trying to think about a uh, a way of, of benefiting from future trends and uh, one of the things that we looked at back at that time was uh, m- messaging as a trend right now it seems kind of kind of kind of funny but but back then it was a huge thing right so Telefonica yeah. was thinking about also launching their own messenger to to capitalize upon that trend <laughs> looking backwards like of course it doesn't make any sense uh, when you have whatsapp and facebook and all the others but uh, that was that time uh, and it uh, was also quite exciting i also saw a lot there yeah um, your ambitions to become a, an entrepreneur, is that something that comes from your parents or was there somebody else who, who mainly uh, influenced you there? Um, no, not necessarily my parents. It was more friends and just uh, I do find a lot of joy in building things. Uh, mm-hmm. so it just gives me a lot of energy building any kinds of stuff like be it furniture being like the house with my dad when I was a kid or like just just building something and and creating something gives me a lot of energy and I think that's 
that's why uh, a startup uh, and, and especially tech is uh, is is uh, is the right thing because you can with the software you can build a lot of things in a very short time frame and also yeah. create a huge 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 benefit uh, for for users and then save time and make processes more efficient uh, by actually creating creating that software and that's uh, just uh, very motivating. Yeah, understood. Yeah, I, I hear this from a lot of startup founders that. Uh... With the main reason they became a startup founder is because they like building things and they get mm-hmm. energy from it. Makes a, makes a lot of sense. Um, are, are there any startup founders that you look up to uh, that you, you, or, or, or startups that you think like they are doing things right and uh, I, that's where I want to go and I want DemoDesk to go? Well, I think... YC definitely has a lot of amazing companies and um, while we went through YC last year, um, we also had the chance to to listen to uh, a couple of other very uh, successful founders that, that, mm-hmm. that came by for for founders donors and uh, yeah, there are a couple of companies, right? So for example, Stripe um, or Mathilde von Front um, mm-hmm. is very inspiring. Uh, then Peter Reiner from Segment, also a very inspiring person. And uh, uh, what I also find particularly interesting is the topic around product market fit and um, uh, the, the, two, the two two biggest uh, um, biggest uh, pieces in, in that space, I think, is like the one from Peter Reiner from Segment uh, uh, describing product market fit as a kind of an explosion and uh, uh, Raul from Superhuman as a kind of structured way of constantly asking customers what they want and what they miss about your product until you reach a certain point. And uh, I think... Uh, like definitely these types of founders where they had success by um, mm-hmm. finding product market fit and with also understanding how they got how they got to product market fit. I think that's particularly inspiring and um, yeah. yeah, especially like Superhuman and uh, and Segment are two great examples for this and also do sh- do, do do show you that there is just not only one way but like different ways to to reach that. Definitely, always good to see the the two perspectives. Uh, by the way, for the listeners, um, uh, Raul of Superhuman was on in one of the previous episodes uh, where he also talks about uh, finding product market fit and how he uh, works towards his, uh, his yearly goals, what kind of processes they have to, to go towards that. So I definitely recommend uh, listening to that. Uh, maybe a bit more about... Um, what you do concretely for uh, listeners to understand, like um, in uh, how many are you guys now at Demodesk? We're now 20 people. You're 20 people. Um, so you're in what sort of phase would you say you are as a company? And do you think you've hit product market fit? Are you working towards it or? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think like depends on how, and and what's your definition for product market fit that comes back to the question or back to mm-hmm. the topic I just mentioned, right? So uh, for, for Superhuman, and you also wrote a blog post about it. It's uh, having uh, 40% of your customers that at least would be somehow sad if they wouldn't have your product anymore. So it's like he used a very strict definition uh, for, for a segment that's more like hitting that landmine that uh, basically causes an explosion and product market fit, having product market fit really feels like an explosion. I think it it, it, it's not as easy as that because depending on who you're selling to and the type of product that you're selling, 
there are different ways. And also, I think you can also have product market fit at one point in time and then lose it again. I also heard that. And then it's a, if you do have product market fit, you also need to have product channel fit in order to basically sell your product properly. But yeah. um, for me personally, <laughs> the, the, the best definition for product market fit in B2B SaaS is reaching 1 million ARR. And we're not quite there yet, but we are on a very good way. Cool. So to understand what, what is it that uh, keeps you personally up at night lately? Well, I think definitely the current crisis. And so Demodesk in particular is for sure less affected than other companies mm-hmm. because we also in some kind of way do to profit from the overtrend to meetings being more remote and also companies having to sell remotely. Um, however, we also have a lot of customers that do themselves sell to retail and hospitality businesses and they are, who are struggling and um, also just the general economic conditions and um, uh, in debt, increasing debt and increasing unemployment rates, especially in the US. Like I think we're now at almost 25%. I think that's definitely something that, that, that does keep me up at night. <laughs> if yeah. there is anything, I typically sleep quite well. But um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how, how you see it, but uh, definitely the current uh, current situation is is somewhat uh, somewhat something that I think a lot about. Yeah, it it helps in some ways and it doesn't in others, I suppose. What 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 what, what figures does it mostly affect for you? Is it uh, mostly new revenue or is it mostly churn? Well, for, for now, I think for us, it was more or less fine. So we did see like little churn. Um, so definitely there were like, I don't know, a couple of companies that are not doing any sales at all at the mm-hmm. moment because basically the industry is dead, like hospitality um, or um, offline retail but, uh, or offline events. Uh, also, same thing here. Uh, it's uh, definitely a little bit tough at the moment. Um, uh, but um, no, I mean, in terms of new MRR, we definitely see uh, new MR coming from uh, new types of customers and new types of industries. So, for example, and we had a customer, and um, we now have a new customer selling solar panels. And uh, we didn't actively target these types of companies before. So, we were more, more focused on B2B SaaS companies that were using Demodesk for their product demos. Um, but, but, but now, new types of customers. So, also another example is a, a furniture store um, that also has a website, a web shop, and is now using their empty brick and mortar furniture stores and the people in there, the sellers to meet the customers remotely and, and like showcase their products and their web shop by demo desk. So and uh, just, it, it has shifted a bit for us, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. More businesses that didn't used to do things of online are doing things online now. Exactly. Um, did this have a, a positive effect uh, overall on you? I mean, like in general, did your uh, new revenue go up or did it go down a bit with the crisis? Well, our new revenue um, actually went up. Um, uh, what we did see is uh, existing customers. We were also growing a lot with our existing customers in the past, mm-hmm. which are B2B SaaS companies. But right now, everyone is very careful and like yeah. putting a pause, especially on recruiting and, and, and in particular on the go-to-market side. So with existing businesses, we, we haven't quite seen like that these the companies that previously have added two or three sales reps every week because they're further scaled their team, like they're now just putting everything on a halt. That's definitely what the existing part. Yeah. What what is it that you personally spend uh, most of your work time on now? We do still spend a lot of time on, on the product side and also I do spend a lot of time on the product. So we're two founders. It's a, mm-hmm. it's, it's Alex and me. 
and um, Alex is mostly focusing on the tech part. Uh, our product is technically quite demanding, I'd say. <laughs> so um, if you if, if you do if you develop an online meeting tool and if you build an online meeting tool and an online meeting tool that includes scheduling components and also CRM uh, CRM component and syncs for the CRM takes data out and syncs data back in, it, it becomes quite complex, and um, both from a tech perspective and from a UX perspective. And Alex is mostly covering the tech perspective, and I am still also doing a lot of um, the UX side and the product side and developing features, developing um, and mock-ups and trying to think about um, user flows and uh, and prioritizing features on the roadmap and working very closely with the customer. That's yeah. basically what I'm doing um, most of my time at the moment. So so the two of you as a co-founders are spending a lot of time in product, you say? Yes. Um, but you're a company of 20 people. What do they spend their time on then? Uh, about half is uh, in the engineering team, mm -hmm. and then we do have uh, three people in marketing, uh, four people in sales. Okay, understood. So uh, sort of half half between engineering and um, and uh, marketing sales, but with a slight tipping over if you if you count in product as well. It's more in product and engineering. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, so so it seems like with this uh, amount of uh, employees, you're probably venture backed. Yes, yes, we are definitely. Yeah. We um, raised our seed round last year, so we went uh, through Y Combinator um, beginning mm -hmm. of last year, and then raised our seed round uh, um, before and during and shortly after demo day. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, yeah the, we, we we raised money from from uh, investors in the Silicon Valley mostly, but also three drones. Yeah. Well, what is your, um, I, I suppose back then you raised for uh, 18 months or two years. Uh, what is your expectation towards the next venture round in the current situation? Well, before this all started, the plan was to raise a round, uh, raise a series A beginning of 2021. Mm -hmm. um, fundraising conditions have changed a bit. Um, so we do... Um, uh, we do actually at the moment think about raising a bit more money and in the form of an extended seed round uh, to have some more leeway until Series A just because the, the yeah. economic conditions are a bit uncertain uh, at the moment. But that would be from the current investors or it would uh, involve some more angels? or It would be a combination. Combination yeah, of those, investors yeah. And new investors, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, back a bit towards uh, sort of what you do operationally. So you, you say that you uh, spend a lot of time on products. Is that 100% of your time or 40% of your time, 50% or? Ooh, I'd say 40%, which is still the, like the, the biggest chunk, uh, um, mm -hmm. the biggest part of my day. Um, uh, because like all the other stuff is really like, uh, all spread out, business topics, management topics, finance. Um, HR, recruiting, bookkeeping, like all the stuff that no one wants to do basically like, yeah. that lies with me. <laughs> okay. uh, uh, partly marketing as well, or that's that's completely within someone else's responsibility? We do have a marketing team. Um, so it's uh, it's it's one, one full-time person and two interns. And uh, they're mostly covering marketing and they're doing a great job. Yeah, cool. Uh, what do you think if, of all the things you're working on is for you the next thing you're planning to delegate? Um, well, we're definitely planning to hire a designer, um, a UX mm -hmm. designer. <laughs> so I'm also still doing a lot of design work, which I shouldn't do anymore. 
so we we currently also um, uh, searching for for designer, but also on the operation side. So uh, chief of staff is probably a bit too early for us, but someone who would grow into that role and uh, takes away some more things on the operational side from from my plate. Yeah. Where do you see yourself uh, mostly working in the long run? Uh, what 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 are exactly are the skills you think you bring as a founder to the business? Like, where do you want to put the focus? Let's say, for yourself. Yeah. So I want to give my team everything that they need to do the best job that they can do, and to um, provide them with all the resources they need to constantly grow uh, and become better at what they do every day. And so that's like my my priority number one and mm-hmm. uh, uh, second priority is just to make sure that we as a company uh, go into the right direction and also have the resources mostly in the form of like money <laughs> available yeah. that we need um, in order to realize our vision yeah. and that's so happiness right that's for me it's very ha- very important that the team is happy and that uh, everyone also uh, can do what he wants can achieve what he wants here at Demodesk and uh, likes his job likes to come to work every day and also uh, can build his, his his kind of own world um, uh, together with the with the entire team. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that you do uh, team strategy and in, in fundraising. Longer term, definitely. Yeah. Like right now, it's yeah. still like a, a a wide set of also very operationally heavy tasks that uh, no one else wants to do, and mm-hmm. also a lot of product. But uh, over time, I hope hope that uh, that that goes goes away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you a lot of uh, customer conversations as well, or is that mostly delegated to your sales team? Uh, no, I also do work uh, um, with customers when uh, when it's needed. So we do have, of course, a sales team and also mm-hmm. someone in support. But whenever it's needed and whenever it's uh, something where I can help, uh, then I definitely also jump and do that. Yeah, cool. Uh, are you guys uh, remote working now at the Modesk? Uh, yes, we are. We are now working... Uh, fully remote uh, we are spread out across the europe and the us um so um also working from different time zones different countries yeah but before that you had a, an office somewhere in germany as well or? we do have an office in munich yes um we also plan to open an office in san francisco or at least mm-hmm. have more people there uh but uh, i think also now the the environment and sf definitely changed a lot so uh, we'll see whether we we um get back to the original plan um, after this after the new normal has arrived <laughs> let's phrase it that way um, yeah. yeah like currently we are we are we do have an office in Munich cool yeah well, what, what, what did it change mostly for you guys you think going remote and everyone being at home instead of in the office did it have a, a big effect or and, 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 and if it had only a small one I'm also interested in knowing uh, where it mostly had an effect for you yeah, for us, it was like we also were also working remotely before, like not as a full remote team, but partially. Um, so Alex and I um, uh, moved to Mountain View during YC. So last year, we, we spent four months in, in, in the valley um, uh, last year already. And then I was also traveling forth and back um, uh, most of the time anyway. So forth and back between Munich and San Francisco. So from, I was partially working remote and uh, Alex was also... Um, actually also moved to San Francisco at the beginning of this year. Uh, we now returned back to Munich, uh, given the consideration. But uh, so we, we also, in some kind of way, were used to working remotely. However, working fully remote, um, uh, the entire team definitely had some challenges. 
So we, um, it was for us, it was super important to set up clear reporting lines and clear team structures. So we actually built teams that um, align every day, every single day, every morning. And also every evening we would align with the, with the NIST teams, like the, with the team leaders and to make sure that everyone's in sync. Uh, but, but that's definitely also a challenge for us is when working with the working students or like young members of the team, um, I had the feeling that especially for them, it was some, sometimes a bigger challenge to, to keep themselves motivated than for full-time employees and employees that um, yeah. are like a little bit older. So what what are exactly the things you do for these interns? It's these uh, daily stand-up meetings in the morning, uh, if I understood well. Yes, daily stand-up meetings in the morning, clear structures, Slack channels, clear guidelines on how to report what and when, and also setting up uh, an internal company wiki and company processes and Notion Google Slides, just documenting all the processes to make sure that everyone is on the same page. Yeah. Did you make any changes to meeting processes? Um, uh, yes, we did. So we have four teams. So our teams are um, uh, tech, product, revenue, and growth. And these four teams do have a daily stand-up. And um, also the team leads uh, together with me and Alex do have a meeting every every day at the end of the day to mm-hmm. make sure that we stay in sync. So you know where everybody's going um, in a meeting. Yes, so we just discuss them um, every day. So I also took that away with me from Bain. We also had this, and when I was doing a lot of due diligences um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, working in private equity, right? So what you do there is basically you um, uh, consult a private equity company um, on a decision whether to buy a certain asset, a certain company or not. And you need to make that decision or you need to make give them that recommendation within a very short time frame, like four weeks or so. So it's, very, it's a very intense project and very important that you spend every single day in the most efficient way. And we also had every morning and every evening, we had a battle call, we would name that. And in the battle call, we would discuss what are priorities for the day in the morning and in the evening also discuss what were achievements of the day, what's still outstanding, and then would together prioritize the things that are important and deprioritize the things that are not. And um, I also took it away with me from being to the startup world. I think this definitely helps. Yeah, yeah. Keep everyone in sync. Are you, are you doing the two meetings or just the the, the, the meeting at the end of the day? Because uh, two meetings, meeting in the morning is within the team. Yeah. So just the growth team or the revenue team, and meeting in the evening is with the team leaders. Yeah, understood. That's a that's a quite a interesting system. We are we are only doing the the morning thing and mostly over Slack. Um, and we do the 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 planning sort of bi-weekly. Um, or weekly depends on the team. Um, but this is an approach I hadn't heard yet. It's uh, it, it for me it seems like a lot of meetings, but uh, I, I can see the the point of it. Yeah, I mean, but if you don't see each other um, and you're working full remote, I mean, it's just very important to have a, yeah, just have a lot of touch points to really make sure everyone's working on the right things. No, or yeah. or don't you don't you think it's very difficult to to yeah, just have the full picture of, of, who's, of, of who's working on what if you're not seeing each other in the office, no? Yeah, true. No, no, no. It's, uh, it's, uh, you definitely need to communicate more. Uh, we, we started doing things like after each meeting, something we didn't do before. We, act, we started a bit, but not really much yet. Uh, but to really summarize what has been said in a meeting uh, so that we can keep the whole team up to date on every... 
um, thing that gets decided in a more summarized way. So that sort of takes away the the need to always meet with team leads. I sometimes meet with my co-founder so that we're aligned on things, Mm -hmm. Um, but not not on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, it's always a trade-off, right? Um, of course, if you have a lot of meetings, you also spend a lot of time in these meetings. But um, also, uh, one one other trick that we use to make it shorter is um, for these stand-ups in the morning and the evening, everyone before the stand-up needs to summarize um, what he wants to share in three bullet points. And uh, just by doing that, you really focus uh, and force yourself to to, to just, just mention the three, most, the three most important things rather than yeah. everyone as a download of like what's going on in your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just in case you, you heard a lot of snoring in the background just now, that wasn't me, that was uh, my dog, just uh, <laughs> me who found that it was a good idea to uh, snore very loudly. Cute, what dog is it? It's a uh, Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know how it looks? No, <laughs> I love uh, dogs, but I don't know. Fl- <laughs> I fluffy, fluffy. Okay. Awesome. Um, towards learnings a bit, perhaps. Um, no, I'm interested uh, as, a, as a final question before we go into learnings. How is your experience um, going from Munich to Mountain View? Uh, what were the differences you saw in how startups operate? Uh, between Germany and Silicon Valley, let's say? Yeah. That's well, my question. Uh, yeah. I'm just, um, uh, while, while you were asking, I was just thinking whether I should answer the question from a perspective of how it was at YC, because that was our experience, when, uh, or whether I should try to answer the question um, without taking account and taking the YC network and the YC experience into account, but probably like the latter one I probably can't do because uh, it's just easy for me to to speak about how it was at, uh, in the YC network. And I think Silicon Valley in, in, in general like is um, connected in, in a way, in, in a better way than, than, than European founders are. So once you're in the Silicon Valley, you have all these successful companies around you. But uh, when you're in, in, in YC, like that's, that's even more intense um, because uh, there are a lot of great companies that did go through YC and you were immediately connected to an incredibly valuable network of successful founders and investors and mentors. And so for us, it was definitely like a bit biased, like even more biased than for someone who would go to the Silicon Valley without YC. But um, um, I can, so I can only speak, speak from, from that perspective, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, um, sure. uh, and um, uh, taking that perspective to account, I think there are like, uh, three main differences. So the first one is just just the mindset. So in, in Europe and in particular in Germany, people like always like to think about the, the problems rather than how big something could be, um, which is what people are more thinking about in the US or especially in Silicon Valley. Um, so they just... Uh, I don't know, I'm thinking about the question, how big can, can this get a lot? Whereas in, in, in Germany, um, uh, you, if you talk to investors in particular, also, um, you tend to get a lot of questions of uh, what obstacles you're facing, what could be in your way, and analyzing numbers and details. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, in Silicon Valley, it's just like the big vision and uh, um, yeah, just everything is possible. 
And if that's the, that's the first major thing. And the second thing is, um, as briefly touched before, also the network. So it's just a very tight network. Um, you can basically speak with almost everyone um, if you just, just want to and ask. Um, because almost everyone is is just around, just just lives in San Francisco. Most of the successful B two B SaaS companies do come from San Francisco and are there, and um, uh, and that's definitely like way more spread out in in, in Europe, and then network is just less dense, and that's the second thing. And the third thing is also um, probably connected to the first uh, and the second part, but fundraising is is for sure a bit easier because most of the investors and most of the money. Um, especially in the startup and the SaaS space um, is available in the Silicon Valley. So most of the successful investors do have an, an office in, in, in Palo Alto or San Francisco. So it's, it's just way easier to, 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 to reach out to them, speak with them and meet them. Yeah, but you raised in both places, you said, both in Silicon Valley and in Germany. Well, we, we did raise in uh, Silicon Valley, uh, honestly, because the like, uh, demo day back then it was was still on site. Now it's virtual, yeah. um, but demo day is in San Francisco, and uh, all the investors are just there in person, or most of them. And then afterwards, you would also like meet most of them in person. Uh, but we also did take three German investors on board, um, which we like, obviously also saw when we were back in Germany. But we the raising, like the fundraising process for us, it took place in Silicon Valley. Yeah, so they, these these others just tagged along, or we're we're mostly like the other three investors were, were investors that we already were in contact with before we um, uh, went through Wesley. Yeah, yeah, but the, the lead investor was the one in uh, San Francisco, or the lead investor was uh, in Germany. We didn't have a lead investor in particular, um, uh, but um, the two biggest investors were Founders Club and GFC, and Founders Club is in, in, in San Francisco, and GFC yeah. is, uh, in, okay. in Germany. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, slowly wrapping up uh, with learnings. What's the latest good book you've read and why did you choose to read it? Um, the greatest book, um, one of the, like, the latest book and also one of the greatest I've ever read is uh, The Great CEO Within. And mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's an incredibly uh, helpful book, especially for founders. And um, Matt Mockery um, thinks the author, but also he also had some, some other founders contributing to it. Um, one of our um, investors actually gave it to me, um, the, the Clearbit founder. And uh, I think it's, 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 it's great. Uh, it, it gives you a lot of tactical advice of how to build a company, how to prioritize your work, how to hire, how to fundraise uh, in a very like, dense and compensated way. And uh, it's, uh, I'd say, like, really, like, in some kind of way, like a, a founder's Bible. I, I, like, I like the book a lot and I can recommend it a lot. Yeah. Just put it on my uh, Goodreads uh, to read list. Have you read um, books like, uh, I have to think a moment, the one from, um, oh God, uh, give me one second. Um, uh, Lost and Founder by Rand Fishkin or The Hard mm -hmm. Thing About Hard, Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Yes, I read that one, yes. How does it sort of compare to the to 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 the one of Ben Horowitz? Well, the hard thing about hard things, like he's more telling stories um, from from his life as a founder or an entrepreneur, and um, uh, just telling start telling stories from his own company. And the great CEO within is really just a, a tactical guide, just describing uh, co concrete steps that you can take uh, to structure your work, to fundraise, to hire people. Like it's more of a, uh, I'd say. Um, 
a guideline of, of how to found a company. Whereas yeah. the hard thing about hard things is like telling telling his own story. Uh, Stories a, and ideas, yeah. Very appealing way. <laughs> mm-hmm. True, true, true. Cool. No, I look forward to reading it. Um, last question. Um, if you were to start over with Demodesk, um, what would you have done differently exactly? Good question. I think, I, I really think that some things you have to go through on your own in order to really learn them. So I think you, sometimes it's just impossible to uh, make a shortcut. Um, and I think being a founder and founding a company might be one of these. So um, I probably like, so far I can say like all of the things that we did were right. And in a sense that of course, like they were not always right at that point, but um, uh, we we learned from these and then the learnings that we got from, from, from going through these processes helped us to become better afterwards. So I think you're really like embracing the process and, and also taking every single step in the process as a necessary step to, to get there where you are at this particular point in time is super important. Like that's, that's always how, how I like to see. It. And also when I'm working with my team and especially with younger team members, um, sometimes I can like tell them how I think things should be done, but sometimes it's just not possible. Sometimes I just, uh, know that they have to go through it on their own in order to really learn it because some things you can't just read or or like, teach someone by just telling them. You know what I mean? Does it make sense? <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. But I have a follow-up question. So you're saying basically that you, uh, if you were to start over with Demodesk, like you go back in time, uh, you don't regret all the steps you made um, because they were uh, needed to get to your uh, results, yes. your current state. Yes. But what if today uh, you would start Demodesk again with everything that you learned already from these things? What would <laughs> yeah. you do differently? Well, I would probably raise earlier. Uh, I would raise money earlier. I would um, recruit a great team earlier with that money and uh, then first fully focus on the product. And uh, then after I have it, uh, uh, at least like a decent version of the product, only then I would actively approach customers and sell. Because back then, when we when we started with them, when I two and a half years ago, like, I remember us being at the first SaaS stock um, uh, in, uh, in Dublin. And back then, we like we had nothing but uh, honestly, like try to approach almost everyone and like pitching our product and trying to sell something that we didn't even have, <laughs> which like just didn't make sense. But like still, we, we learned from that process, right? But um, uh, that's definitely something that I probably like, would not do again. Yeah. So, so you're against customer interviews, or is it is it is it on another sort nuance level? Mm, no, 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 like definitely customer interviews are, are important, but also like we some kind of had that expectation that if we pitched a product that people would just immediately say, yeah, sounds great. I'm going to buy, you know, like it was yeah. just very unrealistic, uh, the expectations that we had back then. And uh, sometimes I think you also have to be, be a bit naive. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't start with building a company because it's extremely hard. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, just a lot of challenges on your, on, that you have to solve on your way. So maybe you also sometimes need that, that na- na- naivety, I think. But yeah. I definitely, like, if I would do it again, like, I would be less naive and uh, more realistic. Yeah, cool. Thank you again for being on Founder Coffee, Veronica. Uh, it was really great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. It was fun talking to you. And uh, yeah, hope to speak soon. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys. 